Soul Talk is a podcast dedicated to making space for Latinx storytellers and content creators across all media to chat about their art, experiences, and culture. As a branch of the Soul Project, Soul Talk welcomes you to the green room. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Soul Talk. My name is Joey Reyes. I'm the associate producer at the Soul Project, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am joined here with... Hi, this is David Mendezabel. I'm the Associate Artistic Director of the Soul Project. I use he, they pronouns. We are so excited uh, to be here in season three of Soul Talk. I believe this is our third episode now, right, Joey? Mm-hmm. This is our third episode. We record these things sort of out of order. So, you know, numbers might change, but but this is this is third. Don't quote me. Don't <laughs> quote me. <laughs> um, but we're here. We're definitely in season three. It is currently first day of Latina uh, Heritage Month. So uh, which takes two months, sort of a half a month here, half a month there. But we don't have to talk about that. <laughs> um, but here we are. Um, super excited to be chatting today with uh, Karen Olivo, who we all know and love, uh, who uses she, they pronouns, originated the role of Vanessa and In the Heights on Broadway. Following year, they won a Tony Award for their performance as Anita in the revival of West Side Story, which was truly an, an incredible performance. Um, Olivo also has portrayed the role of Angelica Schuler in the Chicago production of Hamilton and in 2019 originated the lead role of Satine in Moulin Rouge on Broadway, earning a 2020 Tony Award nomination for Best Actor and Actress in a Musical. What is gender? And, you know, uh, as we all know, uh, recently announced on Instagram that they'll be stepping away and not returning to the role of Satine, um, that social justice is more important than being the sparkling diamond. A real leader, Olivo and Karen Olivo and Eden Espinosa, another actor on Broadway, uh, co-founded uh, the company Affect Change, which, Joe, you're going to tell us a little bit more about Affect. Yeah, absolutely. Affect Change aims to empower and support the underserved, marginalized and underrepresented communities in the arts. Their goal is to educate the global community on multiple systems of oppression, economic violence, and engage in restructuring and dismantling foundational white supremacy. They want to uplift those with similar lived experiences through thoughtful collaboration, developing financial wellness, listening with open minds, sharing radical empathy for mistakes made in the learning process, and eradicating a hierarchy that actively works to avoid centering themselves. Big goals. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And AFIC stands for Artists for Economic Transparency. Yeah, so we definitely spent a lot of time talking with Karen about the origin of AFIC change and the work that they're doing and kind of like mostly in general, like the work, you know, quote unquote, the work of how this industry is being revolutionized, moving away from, I think, virtue signaling and performative activism and doing the necessary, making the necessary changes that will actually have the, have like an effect on a lot of people's lives. Very, a very bold and very lovely conversation. Thank you all for joining us. And we will be right back with Karen Olivo. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We are here. We are joined with Karen Olivo. Karen, welcome to Soul Talk. What's up? Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here. So, you know, we're here, as you know, as you just told us prior, you know, this is your one millionth podcast. You've had so much <laughs> to say, you know, on all of this. And this, you know, this year has been a huge moment of 
reflection and activism and taking action. And, you know, I think we all have learned so much from you and your leadership. But I think just to start us off, like a check-in, like, how are you doing? Like, how are you as a human being? How is your, how is your soul feeling these days? And uh, uh, what are you doing that's uh, rejuvenating your, your spirit? That's a great question. Um, and thank you for it. Before we go on, I just want to make sure that I say that I'm coming from Ho-Chunk land, which is Madison, Wisconsin. Um, and I'm, I feel really grateful to be, um, to be in a place that is not flooding or that is not on fire or, um, is not undergoing, um, you know, a political upheaval. Um, it, I, I, I really do these days I'm boiling it down to the basics, you know, food, shelter, water, loved ones. So, um, when in gratitude, things are pretty good. Uh, you know, I'm a human being too. So like the world and like little things can get in the way, but you know, I'm trying to be really, I'm trying to be really gracious with that as well. And, uh, spending a lot of time teaching and trying to figure out different ways of, um, you know, building community. That's, that's how I spend my days. And that's really what's keeping me uh, centered in terms of work. I love it. Yeah. I think teaching is such an inspiring thing is to like, to be with students, to be with like this new generation of people who are asking the big questions, who have an incredible amount of tools that I, I wish I had when I was a student. And so I can totally see how that is continually, you know, I think we, we think about mentorship as a, oftentimes as a one-way street. And I think that's so wrong, actually. I think it's so two-way, you know, that like I learned so much from people that I mentor. And so being in that space, I can see how that's incredibly rejuvenating. Um, and I, you know, I, I wanna, I would love for us to chat a little bit more about uh, the organization that you and Eden Espinosa co-founded, um, Affect Change, because I think part of, at the core of that, and if you can tell us a little bit more from, from your words, but what, what, I, what really inspired me was uh, financial wellness and education around financial wellness. And that that is something that as an artist, especially in New York City, but I think in, in anywhere, you go out into the world and you know, you don't, you're not taught that this is a business. You're not taught that you are your own company with, with autonomy and agency and uh, that financial literacy is a huge part of what you're gonna do. And if you're lucky, you have an agent or a manager, but, and if you're unlucky, sometimes you have an agent or a manager, you know, but that's a whole other story, you know? And so like, I just, I love that that's such a huge part of it, you know, and, and how that's tied in. And I'd love for us to hear some more of just where that came from. I mean, and, and, and why you feel that's so, that's an important thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that the thing that you're, everything that you've said, um, I need a big old yes. And because um, it is a huge part of our industry in terms of, you know, how we stay afloat. I want to say you know, the way that Affect, Artists for Economic Transparency, started was really out of Eden and I feeling really embarrassed that we knew so little about our industry. And we, I mean, I'm looking at 25 plus years in the industry now. Um, and we, you know, we're not, we weren't silly about knowing what our draw was. 
you know, that's how we got cast. People want to come see us and things. And then when we, we saw some posts about um, FEC contributions. So we had seen on the FEC website that some really huge uh, Broadway theater owners had been given a sizable amount of money to 45's campaign. And, you know, that was right in the middle. Um, the insurrection on the Capitol hadn't even happened yet. I and mean, we were just, we were right at the very beginning in the middle of a global pandemic. And there was this moment of like, oh, we're complicit. <laughs> like, we don't know enough about what we do and where our money goes. And so it started as a conversation about, let's find out more information about structures and vow to never um, step into a space in which we don't, we haven't vetted the financial side of things, which is harder than one would think, right? I mean, that's capitalism. High. Um, and so one of the things that we, we started sort of really ignorantly thinking, all right, we're going to do this thing. And then what we, we realized almost immediately is that no one wants to talk about money. Um, that's how oppression breeds and exists. And so the moment you start to empower individuals to ask questions about money and what they're worth, um, doors start to close and then people stop asking questions because they want to work. So, you know, Affect has gone through like so many different, um, uh, you know, iterations of like, okay, we're going to create resources. No, we're not going to do that. We're just going to be a, a place for accountability. No, we're not going to do that. I mean, the doors that kept getting slammed in our faces. And then we were like, we're going to be a non-for-profit and we're just going to create resources. And then maybe we'll just be like a hub for information. And then we looked at the non-for-profit model and the non-for-profit model is highly, highly racist and oppressive. <laughs> yep. So yep. we were like, what are we doing here? Like every time we tried to get at the problem, we found that the problem was much bigger than we had ever imagined. Um, so now, I mean, within, you know, holding, yes, actors need to know a little bit more about where their money goes and um, how it operates. Now it's a little bit more about like systems of oppression that we're actually entering into when we go into the commercial market. Um, and, you know, to be really, really, transparent. Affect is even taking even a larger step back in terms of like how we organized ourselves. Adrienne Marie Brown wrote an incredible book, Emergent Strategy, that I, I is like my Bible now because I'm realizing for us to do this kind of work where there are multiple, multiple layers of oppression, um, you have to know who you're stepping into the ring with in terms of like who's next to you, who's working with you. And if we can't keep supporting our, our um, people who are working with affect on a really personal level, we're not gonna withstand this fight. Um, it's just so draining. It's draining on a completely different level. I mean, I thought like, you know, doing a show and building a show and, you know, being a product, you know, my body being a product for a lot of people was gonna be hard. No, um, you know, you know, racial inequality and, and, you know, you know, gender parity. When you start talking about that every single day, years come off of your life. So we're like in a building phase of just like trying to figure out how we can support the people who actually want to do the work. And, um, and then moving from there, because it is, uh, I mean, for me, I can't speak for Eden because Eden's not here, but for me, this is just, 
it is now it's a life of service as opposed to a life of making things. And so I have to be able to not burn out. Um, it's a really long, circuitous sort of answer to your question. I hope I got to what you were actually asking. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's so, I think I, I, I love it. And I, I thank you so much also for leading with the vulnerability of acknowledging, you know, one of the real truths is like, we are all complicit in these systems. You know, it's in the water that we swim in, it's in the air that we breathe. And that like, that's really where the change begins is like acknowledging that. And I love what you said, the problems are bigger than what we imagine. Like we can easily sort of throw, you know, we can easily say, oh, it's, it's an issue of that, or it's an issue of casting, or it's an issue of who the director is or who the producer is. And it's like, it's yes, and like this goes to the root, you know, and you begin to see it more and more once you start to have those conversations and you start to acknowledge, and I love what you said, like who is in the room with you? You know, we, 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 we create these families in theater and then half the time you don't really know. Families. Unquote, who everyone is or yeah. what what those real values are or are we there for the actual change that we say we are yeah that's the myth i think that's the thing that drives me crazy that you know for years when i was a child i was told like you know this is your chosen family like you're going in and you're making something gorgeous and you just like you forget you forget that there are good and bad people that do good and bad things and we have just been i I really do feel uh, we we dupe young artists. We really do just like allow them to walk in with no protection. And at the end of the day, it's a it's about buying and selling something when we get to a specific level. And without that information, they, there's no way that they can protect themselves. Um, yeah, that's a, I think that's a, a little bit why I'm now I'm doing more educating because. No one's teaching that in schools. They're just teaching them how to like stand on their mark and belt something or like, <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? They're going to get slaughtered out there. I'm curious, you know, you mentioned something that, that I'm curious, you know, today is the first day of Latinx uh, Heritage Month. Um, and uh, here we are having this conversation. And one thing that you said was no one wants to talk about money. And I'm curious for you in your experience growing up in, in, in your household, if that was something that you found culturally, like I, I just, I say that all the time, like in, in my, like money was not the thing that we talked about. And I do feel like it was very much growing up in a sort of immigrant and, and you know, Latina household that it was like, that's not. And I feel like when we start to talk about that, like, it's like, how do we get past in communities of color that element of shame that we've been taught around, you don't talk about money. It's it's gauche to talk about money because I don't feel that's the same sometimes for some of my white counter, you know, uh, 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 colleagues who are like, that was every day. You know, he talks about money. It was a thing. So I'm curious, you know, from your perspective and your experience. Yeah, my my family of origin was, um, you know, there's you said there's a little bit of shame of not having. Um, from my parents' perspective and not being able to provide. Um, I come from a really, really poor family. Um, uh, I'm like, when I say really poor, I shouldn't say that. I'm, my mother would, would be considered, her generation would be considered probably the poorest. I mean, they lived in a shack with like a dirt floor and like no running water. Um, and, and, and I think that where I was growing up, there was probably a lot, there were more conversations about be, 
be wary of those who have money <laughs> rather than um, how do we make it and keep it once we get it. My parents didn't have a skill set in terms of like saving or investing because there wasn't enough. Like if they had it, they were going to the store to buy food to put in our mouths. Um, so most of the conversations around money um, were be careful of those who have it, um, which is, uh, I have, you know, there was a lot of unlearning on my part in terms of that. But then also now that, you know, here I am and started an organization about, you know, financial acuity and financial wellness. Um, capitalism is probably one of the most disgusting things that have ever existed. Um, and, it, and it, it really does sort of center around those who have and those who uh, don't distribute or don't share. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. the conversations around money were, it wasn't like, don't talk about how much that costs as much as, um, be be aware of what that means it's a much more emotional thing i'm realizing as we're even talking about it um because you know you can't have a parent talk about money and not recognize that they feel shame that you don't have food in your belly i mean it makes me think about what you said at the beginning of this you said i'm focused on food shelter water and loved ones you know and and that's 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 it, that's a value, you know, and like, and even that requires money. I always say, I'm like, I hate money. Like, I hate it so much, do you know, but it's like, even for the most simplest needs in our lives, like we are made to believe that that is what we need, do you know, and, and because of the systems that we're in, it is, do you know, in some ways, but it's like, how are you? Yeah, so I think it's like, how are you moving past? I, I love this, you know, the, the shame and the, the emotional weight of whatever, whatever your interaction with it to get to a place where we can actually say, okay, great. Now, now that we have this knowledge, that, now that we understand how the systems work, now that we understand how we're complicit, now that we understand where that shame is or where that emotions are, like now what are we taking and what are we doing with it? Do you know? And like, it's, it's through that, that the real change is going to happen. It's not going to happen today. You know, it's like, how are we, you know, so, so when you said, you know, I'm focusing on service and not creating things, I was like, you're making something even more beautiful, which is a field and, and, and youth who are, who are going out there to ask those questions. And I think that is that rolling change that, you know, we need to see. So, so I think you are making things, you well, know, well, I'll take it. Thanks. Maybe not a high kick, but you know, no. you can high kick also if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm good. Yeah, I, something that you just said made <laughs> me think of how when we're talking about money, we're actually talking about value and, and more that part of like, um, I don't know, shame or, or anything that I would have seen in my parents' face mm -hmm. when talking about it. It's a, it, for a lot of people at a specific level, having something monetarily does really equate to an amount of worth because you know with money you can step into spaces and your body is protected you know regardless of skin color um and so it's like i don't have this thing therefore you're not only do you not have money in the bank but you're not worth anything once you leave this area um i think that that's we see that a lot and people of color who come into a sizable amount of money they want to show you this is protection. You can't take my life. You can't mistreat me. 
I have worth. And it's not actual dollars and cents. It's like that intrinsic worth that we've been robbed of for like through our ancestry. And I think that's where the shame comes. Not so much like my parents weren't like, oh, we can't buy you the CD player that you want. It's like, you don't have enough to make you worth your body worth something outside. It's interesting you're touching on worth because I was reading up on this interview that you'd had with, I believe it's Chatham, Life and Style, that was published in July. And you talked about uh, worth there as well and specifically addressing how, like, how for a lot of performers and artists, really, a sense of worth is really tied to creating. And with the industry being held down so much, um, and paused for over a year that it's, it's, it's really impacted like mental health of, of artists and, and their sense of worth of whether they can even perform again or create again. The title of this that was given to this interview was The Bodies Were Buried on Stage. And so like this, I'm just, this is like making me think of how like worth is t- tied to this sense of like whether you can create and specifically um, you were speaking in the case of performers, how like your sense of worth is attached to your body and how, t- how can you, and as an educator, how can you teach young performers to find that sense of worth within themselves and not, and not be so fixated on, I'm only worthy in this industry because my body can do these certain things or my voice can be this certain way or that sort of thing. So I'm, 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 I'm holding that as we're having this discussion right now. Thank you for reminding me about that interview that was a very long interview but it really I I, I don't want to say fun but it was a fact-finding mission for me as well as the questions were coming yeah I do really see us grooming young artists from a very young age to not find value in themselves but in what they can produce on stage and in classrooms and that's the thing that sort of gets us in a bind especially when we start talking about money because then they don't know what they're worth I have a problem with that. I feel like we've been doing it wrong for a really long time. And I think we'd be in a completely different place if we could value the human and the magic that they create is an offset and only like a byproduct of the person. We don't do that anymore. And that's only possible if people are being taken care of. I mean, these are conversations that we're we're really, really having, especially as we're continuing to open back up and like questioning each other, hopefully, you know, questioning each other and holding each other accountable or creating a system of accountability is how are we going to take care of the people that are making this thing that we're asking them to do? We're asking people to give so much of themselves over, so much of their humanity and their lived experience and being vulnerable um, in the rehearsal room, on stage, you know, spending, spending a certain amount of hours a day giving themselves over and how can we expect them to do that in their fullness if we're not taking care of them? That accountability thing, though. That's the thing. Like, people are like, yeah, you know, we need to hold them accountable. And I'm like, yeah, who's going to hold them accountable? Because you, they sign your paycheck. Like, let's not forget how this works. And no one has been working. So now you're here and you finally have a paycheck coming in and you're off unemployment and you're trying to, like, pay off your credit card cards that you just decimated. And you're trying to, like, get to a place where back where you were but pre-pandemic and something goes wrong and you're not going to say anything (laughs) you're not because you've been told for x amount of years that you're only worth what someone will pay for you 
And, you know, look, did we all have the time during the pandemic to go down deep and find intrinsic worth? Probably not. We were all like in a free fall. So it's like, uh, you know, I have so I mixed really, really mixed emotions about opening up the way that we've opened up and how soon. Because it's just like the worker doesn't have a voice still. The worker can take to social media possibly, but it, what I know for a fact is that, you know, employers are putting clauses in contracts that say that you will not put anything on social media. So now you don't even have that because now you, there's a legal barrier between you and speaking out on your own behalf. Um, and then where do you go? You go to our union, look at our union, ha. Huh? You know, it's like our union is a mess. I think that's why I've actually, you didn't ask this, but that's a little bit why I've pulled away from my own colleagues because I'm like, you don't want to be free, y'all. You're struggling. You want to keep making money and you want to be a part of a capitalistic system that is cannibalizing you and has been cannibalizing you for like 150 years. Do you think that things changed? I mean, what happens when someone is forced to change because of public opinion? Is that an internal change? Is that a moral, is that an ethos shift? No, it's how do I keep tickets being sold and people coming to do the thing that I want them to do? How do I keep control over this thing that I've amassed? So I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what to tell y'all. It's not gonna go well because we haven't had like that real come to Jesus moment. Sorry. No, no, no apologies. I think that's all. really powerful. And <laughs> truth telling. Yeah. You know, and I think one of the things that I've really been thinking about a lot is and, and hearing, you know, I hate Facebook, but you know, I still read. Um, uh uh is you know, there there's this binary that's created. And like I think we all agree that the binary does not exist. Um, and there's this binary that's created of like it is either this or it is this. You either go from the inside or you 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 withdraw. And I think that like one of the things that I and I, I love hearing you speak about it is you're like, this is my way. This is the way that I can do this. And you know, this is also not the first time you've taken some time for yourself from this industry, you know, publicly said, you know what, I'm gonna step away. And one of the things that I remember the first time, you know, I had worked with you on on Vera Stark a thousand years ago, and I was like, I was in awe and I was like, here, here, you know, this Tony winner, here she is, like, here they are, like, I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited. And this moment, and one of the things that, like, remained with me and continues to remain with me is this, like, self-agency that I feel like I, I want to pretend like I have sometimes, and then, like, I feel like I don't, do you know? And, uh, uh, and that's something, you know, we're working through with the therapist, do you know, but, um, that sort of setting of personal boundaries and recognizing what you need and recognizing this is an action that I'm going to take, which doesn't necessarily mean that like the actions that you're taking aren't also working for you. And it's really going to require, but, but if you think doing it that way and not having this conversation with yourself is the way that's that's not right so it's actually ultimately about the the work the 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 self-work you know and I'm just like yeah I don't know I don't there's not really a question that I'm leading at but I I, I guess it's to say what was that like I, I don't know what was that like finding that um reclaiming that agency of yourself like what did the, I, I, I like I feel like it has to be equally terrifying and like and also 
thrilling. And I'm curious, you know, having, having exercised that a couple of times now for yourself publicly in this industry, how does that, does it like, does it get easier? Like what, I don't know what the question is really, but like for you, what's that sort of um, moment of choice? You know, it's funny, you, uh, you know, you talked about yourself and sort of what your journey is with boundaries. And I think that there is, there's two things here. Like I, you know, because I come from not having a lot and always having to sort of watch my own back. And then also I'm, you know, a survivor of, of rape and also a survivor of domestic abuse. There is this like, uh, there's like that little part of me that I, I, like if I split myself in half, the part of me that is like tender and vulnerable, and then the part of me that has to step out in front, and that part that has to step out in front or had to in those times to protect me and to pr protect my psyche is, um, is really strong because I'm still alive, right? And I hear it every once in a while, and it comes in the form of like my gut, um, and we, you know, we, in our household, we called it ganas. It's just like the, you know, my desire to like that thing that is pushing me, almost taking me by the chest and pushing me forward. And I'm like, I don't know where we're going. And it's like, you're going that thing to protect myself and to protect my body and my mind um, leads out. And for so many years I would hear it and I'd be like, what is that? And then every once in a while, when things got really bad or dark for me, I would, I would listen to it and I would follow it. And initially, um, it would hurt a lot because you're by yourself and no one else understands what you're doing. And everyone, um, when someone's not able to um, uh, listen to that part of themselves it's very easy for people to be like well there's got to be something wrong with you because i'm not able to even i can't get that part of myself on the phone <laughs> you know what i mean so the, so every single time i would try and listen to it i mean it doesn't go away i think that's something about having to keep yourself safe when you're a child it's like it um it's ingrained in you. And so I hear it, I listen to it and things get really tough. And then all of a sudden expansiveness, things start to open up and I, and I feel a different kind of worth because I could take care of myself. And then over time, I just keep hearing it. And I'm like, well, that's the only thing that is really caring for me in space, you know? So I keep doing it and it, and the answer to your question is it is never easy. It always feels like the air is being sucked out of you and you lose the way that I lose friends, friends, quote unquote, is like, I mean, I could probably say I have like three real, real friends. And everyone else is someone that needs to see themselves in me. And the moment that I'm not reflecting that they're out. <laughs> so it, um, and then also it's the, it's, I have a responsibility, which is like, you know, some people would say, well, fame, people are watching me. No, I have a responsibility because I've been here long enough and I know that someone is watching me. And so if I'm not living my life, um, as boldly as I possibly can, I just, I send, I send young people to the slaughterhouse. They see me say that it's okay. And then they just do it. And I have to. I can't have that on my conscience. I have to live a life that is like fucking bold and brave. 
So maybe somebody will see a path that they might want to follow in, but it's gross every time. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you. That was, thank you so much. That was really honest and vulnerable. And so thank you. And powerful also. And the work of liberation, I think that was the other thing when you said, you know, like, you don't want to get free about other people is that it's like, that's the, really the work of liberation, you know, and, and what it actually means for, for, for all of us to be liberated. And I think it's like, we want to be able to be working in this industry, we want to be able to be not, not working in this industry, hold on. We want to be able to be making, we want to be able to be creating change through art making, I believe, I was speak for myself. So I want to be able to, and I also know that there is a deep tension between doing that and doing that within these systems, you know, so I, so I think it's, yeah, it's that, you know, it's that a abolition th thing where people are like, oh, you just want to burn it all down. It's like, no, I, I want, I want to create something new. I want, yes, I want to burn it down. <laughs> I want to burn it down to, to give birth to something new, actually. And that's the work of liberation. So to hear you say all that is, is really powerful. So thank you. I wish you were my teacher when I was a student. <laughs> well, we're learning from each other right now. This Absolutely. Is, every single time I get into community with people, I'm like, oh, right. That's actually, that's what you really believe in. And then hearing people tell their own story is really, I mean, I think that's how we're going to make it. More podcasts. Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, putting it out there, <laughs> giving people access. But I think it's one thing. Like, yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, because um, we're, we're kind of touching on this here. One thing that really struck me, I'm just going to read this quote from this interview I mentioned earlier that, that really stood out to me. Uh, you said, my dream is not to build a theater company. My dream is to empower the individuals to know so much about what they're worth and how the system works that they can make conscious choices about being a part of it. I'm not going to work and I'm not going to give my gifts in a space in which I feel we have differing levels of integrity. If you don't care about humanity and you don't care about the people who don't have a title, the interns, the person bringing you, you, bringing you your coffee, I don't want to give you my art. I don't want to step in the room with you. And, you know, having this conversation about self-agency and identifying shared values amongst the people that you're stepping into the room with, I think, like, that's, that's the shift that's really going to that revolutionize the way that we make in general. Again, prioritizing the care of the people and those who are the ones that are signing the paychecks, those who are the artistic and executive directors of the organizations in regional areas. We have the power as like the, the being the makers in the room, being, being those folks. And even in this interview, as you had mentioned too, like the power of the consumer, the people who are wanting to go and, and absorb that product and go see that story or partake in those community programs that that uh these organizations like to push forward when they're asking for money right um holding developing that like community accountability um is definitely a process that i think we're starting to lean into um but it's, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen overnight it's very much a marathon and not a sprint yeah i you know we said a little bit about well, David, you said a little bit about, you know, that sort of internal thing that needs to happen for any of this to go right. And, you know, we're talking about creating communities and being in spaces and being able to, to vet whether or not someone is worthy of your art. And if you haven't created um, those boundaries and you haven't sat down and asked yourself, what is it that I want to put in my life? 
who do I want to step into spaces with? You won't be able to do that other thing. And I think it's so scary for us to be still and to ask ourselves. There's like a part of us that knows like we're going to be like, I don't think that much of myself. It's like this thing that I've been making has been actually giving me, you know, has been gassing me up. And so to be able to do that, those like fundamental steps, those fundamental steps are really important or else we can't get to that other part. And I'm like, who wants to get in their feelings and have to look in the mirror and be like, hey, I don't actually like you. Or, hey, I am letting you down right now. That's why I keep working with people who degrade me. And, you know, <laughs> like nobody wants that. And especially when you're established, right? That's why the youth are, you know, they're still like under the cover of some sort of like, you know, familial solidity in terms of finances. So they're not like, they're just still, they're in a place in which they're like, wait, 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 can I ask for more? Like, I don't have to like put my money on the line right now. If we can get them quickly, and get them to notice that um, it doesn't happen without them. That's the thing, they're the conduits. You know, the people who sign the checks, the artistic directors, I'm so glad that you have, you know, generational wealth, but guess what? You don't make art. You may be able to curate a group of people in a room who can make art, but you can't do it. That's why you need us. So if we can really sort of harness that, that's the changing from the inside. And I don't mean change, get inside the system and be in the show and then try to change protocol. No, change your inside so that when you step into the space, it's undeniable that you deserve more and that you will not settle for less. And then they'll see your gorgeous art and they'll be like, but I want that. And you'll be like, well, then you got to treat me like a human. Absolutely. And I love that you also said early on, like, we didn't have the time necessarily to do this during the pandemic. I think for so many people, it's like, if I didn't do the work, I'm, I'm too late. And I just want to say, like, this is an ongoing work that goes on whenever, like whenever you are ready, like it's here I, I think, and, 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 and it's, it's a process. It, it happens in its own time. And I'm wary of, you know, folks who've arrived at a sort of woke Mecca and like, you know, like, I'm like, you're, no, that's not it. It's an ongoing, everlasting, active process in the same way that like love is a verb. Do you know what I mean? It's that self-love. It's that self-reflection. It's that self-work that you're constantly undoing and not just undoing, but you're, const you're constantly like creating something new actually. So I think to, that's why I keep saying you are making something. You are making something beautiful of and in yourself, you know, I think so, so. What's that, that quote? I don't know if it's a quote. It's like a saying, I think they, in, if you meet Buddha, kill him. Oh. Yeah, which is like, it's a false prophet. If someone says I'm Buddha, you're like, oh, you're, you're the enlightened one, yeah. you're false. Yeah, because you can never arrive there. Exactly. You're constantly on the path, journeying towards something and you will never get there. Correct. Um, yeah, I know it's that's that's kind of deep. That's great, though, because it's it is it is shifting that mindset. I think we we have and it, we're kind of forced and born into a mindset just kind of uh, specifically in, in American society, um, since that's what I know of like working, always working towards something and achieving the next thing. And then once you get it and, and this sort of like ideal of like, once I have this particular thing, whatever that is, I'm going to be happy. And then you get there and then you realize, oh wait, 
I want more. And so it's always like trying to, and, and in that you can end up like um, uh, trampling over people and, and missing out on the folks who actually bring a lot of value into your life. And so really shifting that mindset that is more goals-based into something that's more values-based where you actually get to enjoy the ride of your life um, and have a more sustained like happiness and community of people, more abundance, I think, rather than like what has been fed to us of this narrative of like, once you have a certain thing or things, then you're going to be fulfilled in some like weird way so deep so inspiring and just so much so much to think on like I'm like this is like you know 1046 on a wet what what day is it Wednesday but also like such a beautiful way to enter this 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 time together so thank you so much Karen for for your insight and your vulnerability and for uh your leadership uh you know for those of us uh for those folks who are listening and who want to and uh, uh, get more involved with with your organization and and other ways. What are resources? You know, how can they find Affect Change? What are other resources that you recommend that people can check out and start doing this work? I mean, I would be. This is probably not what you were expecting, and this is probably what people don't say when they have an organization. I would say instead of reaching out to our organization, I would I would get real quiet and look within, um, because the thing is. You know, we talk a lot about performative activism and, and it's, and I don't think that it is something that someone enters into knowingly. I think everyone's like, I have to do something and they rush out to create something in front of them rather than going inside and being like, how is this operating within me? How am I, how am I actually helping these systems oppress other people in my every my day to day. I love to say to my students, change what you can touch. And what you can touch is not like someone on the other side of town, um, a marginalized group. What you can touch is how you how you buy, how you sell within your own circle, who you surround yourself with. When you can figure that out and you feel really solid, then I, I would say step out and see if anyone else needs your help or if you can support someone. But if you don't do that internal work, it's always gonna be performative. And that's not shade. That's just like, you know, that's how oppression actually works. <laughs> how many of you can I rope in and get you thinking you're doing the thing while I'm distracting you with your ego so I can keep holding other people down? That sounds like a cult. <laughs> Look, it's wow, you know, yeah, <laughs> insidious, right? It's 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 pervasive and insidious, um, but we can fight it from within, and that's great because you don't have to leave your house, you don't have to do anything, you don't even have to put on pants. Look, don't put on pants <laughs> and fight oppression. Yes, amazing. <laughs> Uh, Karen, thank you again so, so much for joining us. We really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. And yeah, just so much. I feel so like I have like, like, like this piece that feels like it's kind of washing over me right now. I really enjoyed this conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you for asking me to come into community with both of you. We'll be right back. Hi everyone, welcome back. We've just wrapped up our interview with Karen Olivo and have already 
I've been discussing like how nourishing that conversation is felt. I feel like a broken record a little bit because I feel like <laughs> all of our conversations end up being pretty nourishing. But that in particular just like hit me in a special way. Yeah. Well, I think what it is too is like even you mentioned it during the interview in particular. This one sp- specific thing that the three of us share is sort of like acknowledging a bind, uh, a specifically like a gender binary or a, a, a non-binary ness exist of existing yeah. outside of a gender binary that the um, binary does not exist basically <laughs> yes. that it is a construct that does not exist at all yes and i think for me i think that was kind of like what that like what was being held that energy that even though we are doing this virtually and all in different locations that i felt was like being held in the middle and there's just at least for me like when i particularly um was making this discovery about myself a few years ago, it kind of created this access point, right? That if now I have this understanding of myself that, um, and my identity that is existing outside this binary, then that helps me to kind of like comprehend a little bit more or like even even approach anti-racism work with a lens that is, that is not so restricted, I think. Um, it's just an, a, a more open perspective, a more fluid perspective in examining these structures that we live in because it's forcing us into binaries, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's something about um, the kind of internal reflection that asking oneself that question and really sort of coming to a place of wholeness and understanding of the complexity of your own identity, I think, uh, opens up or has opened up for me a kind of deeper interrogation of so many of the systems that that you know as I said we all breathe and and, and swim in you know and so I, I, I hear you and I, and I definitely felt that same sort of vulnerable introspection you know and and leading leading by questioning and not by finding answers but like actually by like questioning and interrogating and 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 wanting to seek greater liberation for for everyone you know and, and so I definitely you know I, I I'm leaving this conversation incredibly inspired and uh with so much to think about about you know the continued work that 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 I have for myself personally um and and for the ways in which I uh, want to create and who I want to create with and, and why. And so uh, it's, it's, it's really through that personal conversation, that personal reflection that I do to arrive at, at certain things that I've come to understand about myself. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, it's, uh, I don't know, like it's, it's again, like this, this, this whole, all of this work this interest, uh, internal like inspection, and also the examining of these systems. Like again, it's it's a marathon and not sprint. And I think because we're just so we're so um, conditioned to want to receive things so quickly, or to like be there now, and it is an unlearning, right? Of 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 even how we go through process and and allowing space for for people's humanity to be prioritized. Um, um, One thing that someone said on a panel a few months ago that I was like, oh, that's like the new thing, I'm taking that. 
and I'm gonna run with it. And that's like my gonna be part of like my mantras is like moving at the pace of humanity, um, is what they said specifically. And that for me just like really struck a chord. And I was like, yes, 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 because it just feels like even during this time, you know, this frustration, feeling this frustration of like things are going on in the world, and and it and and it continues to to go on even even when you're experiencing trauma <laughs> and depression and frustration and so it's like and then you're ex and you're expected to just kind of like continue to to do your work or you know that sort of thing and and there's very little room to to actually be able to sit with that and process it and it is an immense privilege to be able to have access to things like that that like mental health service providers um and being able to like take that time out of your day you know like not everyone is able to do that and and which in itself is like a whole nother system of oppression so it's like yeah it's it's um it's a lot but but i think it's it's really nice to have those reminders that the things are going to just take time and to like be able to to acknowledge that and sort of live in that and say that that's okay yeah absolutely well it's like uh uh you know I love that moving at the pace of humanity. And I think that really requires a kind of graciousness with oneself and with others, you know, a real grace. The, the work will happen if you continue to do the work, um, that self, that self internal work, you know, just, and, and yeah, it's a process. So I, I love what, what Karen said, change what you can touch. Well, Thank you, everyone, again, for joining us. As always, we really appreciate you tuning in. Um, make sure you are subscribed, you're rating us, reviewing us, whatever the things, um, all the things. And we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Soul Talk. Soul Talk is a branch of The Soul Project, a national theater initiative dedicated to producing the work of Latinx playwrights in New York City and beyond. Co-hosted by David Mendezabal and Joey Reyes. Edited by Ira Zacarias. You can follow us at www.soulproject.org, on Instagram and Twitter at soulprojectnyc, and on Facebook at The Soul Project. Thank you for listening. Soul Project.